Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. With Tesco, where you won't pay more for the products that matter most to you. Tesco, every little helps. And we are, of course, in uh, the middle of a general election campaign. Uh, two constituencies in Limerick, Limerick City and Limerick County. And over the next few weeks, we will be talking to candidates vying for your votes in those two constituencies. And we're starting today uh, to uh, talk to Deputy Willie O'Dea of Fianna Fáil, Senator Kieran O'Donnell of Fine Gael, and Deputy Jan O'Sullivan of Labour, all standing in the Limerick City constituency. And uh, good morning uh, to all of you. You're Welcome. Morning, um, let us talk first about something that a number of listeners were in touch with us. I think two of you were involved in a debate on television uh, last night, uh, Jan and Kieran, and there was quite a bit of criticism coming into us about that debate, how it went, and that Limerick was essentially let down in the course of it. How would you respond to that? Well, maybe if I can respond first. Um, I made a point on television last night that there was a lot of shouting going on. Um, I Certainly from my own point of view, um, I did think it, it was it was too belligerent. There was People wanted to hear solutions. They wanted to hear what we actually would do about the terrible situation and the trolleys in the hospital. Um, I, I hope from my own perspective, I tried to concentrate on what we needed to do about that, which obviously is to get the 60-bed unit as soon as possible and to get clarity that it will not only be built, but that it will be staffed. Uh, and I think that's a crucial point. Um, and also that, I mean, the whole... I believe effectively there is an embargo on staff and we're, we're short. Yeah, we'll get into that in the issues in a second, but in terms of the, to- the yeah. tone of it. <coughs> well, and, and, I mean, and, and there were four involved now, so I mean, you know, you were involved as well. Well, to be quite <coughs> honest, I think if anybody watches it back, they will see that I didn't get involved in the argy-bargy, that I did try to focus on What about on you, Kieran? Yeah, Joe, I, I would have preferred if, it was, if, if I suppose there was more discourse. Uh, for me, I suppose I'm about... But it didn't happen by accident. No, you know? no, but it's it's the... The whole issue with, with the University of Hospital Limerick is a very... We'll get into the issues. Yeah. I'm talking about the tone of last night's yeah. debate. There's been a lot of criticism yeah. coming tone, into us this morning. should have been more moderate, I accept so, that. What happened? I mean, you're I, all I experienced think, I operators. Think, I think really that I put forward, we'll say, s- solutions. Jan spoke. I've very much solution-driven on University of Hospital Limerick with the 60-bed block. We're not, uh, sorry, we'll get into the issues. No, I'm I talking put, about the tone of this I debate. I put forward, I suppose, uh, solutions in, in respect of the hospital itself People didn't disagree with them. Uh, I felt they were inaccurate. And I think it was important that people were aware that precisely what the facts are. OK. Um, Willie O'Dea, um, we're hearing breaking news that Fianna Fáil Councillor Eddie Ryan, not your constituency, but the one next mm-hmm. door, is withdrawing from the race only 12 hours after being added to the card as a candidate in County Limerick. What's going on? Well, I, I, that's news to me. This is the first <clears throat> I heard of it, obviously. I'm sorry to hear about that. Uh, Eddie may have taken the view that the uh, Constituencies Committee delayed too long in adding him on and that he wouldn't have a fair chance. Because if you look at the uh, position in Limerick City, for example, uh, we had our convention, what, two and a half years ago, Fine Gael had our convention, I think roughly around the same time. Uh, Jen, obviously, <coughs> is the outgoing Labour TD and she's she's a sitting TD. So I suppose somebody being added on in that context, somebody being added on literally 18 days or 19 days before the election, maybe, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, look into his mind and see what he's possibly thinking. Uh, he probably thinks that he doesn't have sufficient time to, to make an impact. But to be honest with you, it's the first I've heard of it. I didn't know. But it, it, it's news to me. It is a bit messy though, isn't it? 
Well, it is. It is. It is messy. There's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, you know, if we're to be competitive in, in West Limerick and you're looking for a second seat, obviously you must be running more than one candidate. So it is messy. Um, I'm sure that the, um, the the nominations close, as far as I know, tomorrow at noon, uh, to the best of my knowledge. And presumably they'll have to now try to find somebody to replace Eddie if they want to compete for the second season in West Limerick. I mean, it is unfortunate and I'm sorry, sorry to hear it. Okay, because it, it does seem remarkable that he would be added to the ticket and then he changed his mind or was there a communications breakdown between Party HQ and him, do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I heard yesterday that he was added to the ticket. So that that indicates to me that they contacted him and they asked him would he stand. And he obviously said yes, otherwise the announcement wouldn't have been made. But something happened to change his mind in the meantime. OK, well, before we get into the teeth of the debate and some of the issues that I care you're already anxious to talk about, um, it's only fair to warn you, we have been asking our listeners what word or phrase that politicians use most annoys them. And we've also been chatting to Inez Bailey of the National Adult Literary Agency agency who's appealing to politicians uh, to use simple language. Here's a little of what Inez said to me at the start of this morning's programme. Well, I think some of the kind of key words to hear a lot of are, for example, drive. So a lot of politicians are driving an agenda um, or driving on, and they tend to be words that we associate with, you really are driving a car, or you might be driving on or driving out cattle, right? Um, we hear a lot of foster uh, again, a word that in plain everyday terms you would associate with fostering children. Um, you hear a lot of deliver. So politicians are constantly telling us that they're going to deliver. Um, but actually, what's delivered is the post. Um, uh, abstract concepts like improvements or priorities um, are not really good to connect with delivery. Um we hear a lot of commitments and pledges, and, and we heard that again this morning from your from your own listeners saying that they hear those words being used, but they're actually not clear what exactly the politician is going to do or not do, um, as the case may be. Deploy is another word. I am often associated with the military, so we think of it in that way. And sometimes politicians perhaps are using that word to deploy resources um, because they're making it sound like, you know, maybe it's an emergency situation or it is almost like warlike in their world. But in actual fact, deploy isn't a good word to be using. And it could be hiding effectively you know, maybe how much money is actually being put into a particular investment. Mm. Um, tackling is another one. I think tackling is something we think about in terms of rugby or football. That's Inez Bailey there from the National Adult yeah. Literacy uh, Agency. Uh, Deputy Willie O'Dea of Fianna Fáil, Senator Kieran O'Donnell of Fine Gael and Deputy Jan O'Sullivan of Labour are with us for the first of our debates. And I have to say we also were asking on Live 95's Facebook page and listeners saying they don't like to hear politicians say, we'll take care of that, we'll look into it, uh, you look after me. Um, uh, leave it with me. Leave it with me. Yeah. <laughs> Take, takes out the notebook <laughs> and they're taking your information. They say, I'll look into it first thing tomorrow. <laughs> and 12 months later, it's the same story. So, obviously, there's a bit of humour involved, but is there a serious point too about communicating with your voters? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there is yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, I've started using the note system in my phone because at least it's there and I, I you know, I, I it's. I, I can tell myself I can lose a bit of paper, but um, if I put it into the notes on my phone, then, you know, I, I'm not going to just leave it with me and, and not come back. Um, so I think that's a helpful way of doing it. And on Inez's list, um, I have to say I'm guilty of one of them, and that is deliver. I have used deliver. <laughs> um, I don't think I've used the others. <clears throat> 
Yeah, well, I, I, I'll try not to use the word drive or foster or <laughs> deliver or whatever. I mean, I'm usually walking anyway, not driving. But um, yeah, you see, the, the, there's a deeper problem here. There's a, uh, there is a certain disenchantment with politics in the country at the moment, I find, particularly amongst young people. And, you know, when you hear politicians or see politicians on TV using the same phraseology over and over again, maybe they think they're getting their point across, but that, in many cases they're just turning people off, quite frankly. <clears throat> she did also make the yeah. point about plain speakers and she said that Donald Trump was a plain speaker, but she also said that that does not automatically mean that the plain speaking <laughs> is always accurate or true. So, um, yeah. Well, I mean, I'd agree. I mean, you're, what you're trying to do really is communicate with the electorate and... At times we get caught up in jargon and we're probably all guilty of using these words. But ultimately it's about, um, you know, dealing with your electorate. And I take on board Willie's point uh, in terms of disenchantment members of the public, in terms of the political system. And at times people get into a bubble in terms of the political environment. But when it comes down to it, it's about really looking after your electorate. And as three people, just very briefly on this before we move on to some of what listeners have asked us to raise with you who have been in politics quite a while, um, do you think that disenchantment is worse than it used to be? I'd have to say yes. I think that um, the world has changed. Uh, you look at the style of politics that's now worldwide in terms of, uh, of we'll say, even Trump himself. And certainly I think that uh, that for the public, uh, they look at the political system and in many cases they, they, they look at it with amazement. And I think the challenge for us as politicians is to, uh, I suppose, bring about um, policies and particular uh, individual changes in their constituents that affect their real lives. Jan? Yeah, I mean... I think, first of all, they, they want us to be honest with them, you know, uh, and um, if we're saying we're going to do something, we need to be able to say where the money is coming from and, you know, exactly how we're going to do it. But yeah, I mean, I think there is a sense that a lot of people, you know, are still struggling and they feel that, you know, we talk in general terms and that we need to actually listen to them and actually understand where they're at and bring, you know, sensible, practical solutions that make sense to them. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is a sense that people feel, you know, they want more from us. Yeah, well, you know, if you, the answer to your question is obviously yes. And, you know, as evidence of that, all you have to do is look at the rise of populism and populist parties, you know, throughout democracies. That People aren't voting for those parties for their policies or because they like to look at their eyes or anything like that. They're voting for them because as a reaction against the established political system. And that is something that, that all of us must deal with. I mean, you know, you've had a number of incidents, you know, involving people of all parties in, 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 in the outgoing doll that didn't exactly enhance confidence in politics as such. And, uh, you know, we, we've... We, so, so we've been up... You know, I, your question was, has the disenchantment increased since the last time? Sadly, I think it has. Mm. Um, what is your reaction, by the way, Senator Kieran O'Donnell, as a member of mm. Fine Gael too, and we've seen it on social media, we've heard about it on Live 95 News, uh, to uh, the cutting down of a poster of Leo Varadkar, which apparently in Limerick was in front of a breast check sign. Shouldn't have gone up, Joe. Shouldn't have been put up there. I don't know what the circumstances were. And I think they should have been taken down with immediate effect. That's end of story. Okay, let's hear what uh, Trish, uh, who we've been in touch with listeners, asking them what they would like to ask politicians, what uh, Trish wants to know. 
Hi, my name's Trish and I have some questions regarding the upcoming elections. Um, one of them is in regards to the cost of childcare. Um, the average cost is costing about 1800 to 2000 a month, which is the average salary for a person going to work. So, in regards of going to work, you have to pay for your diesel, your lunches, your childcare, and you have limited amount of time to spend with your children. And then when it comes to your free time, you have no money to spend going out with your children because you're paying a stranger to look after your, your kids. Is this really fair? Is it really fair, John O'Sullivan? No, it's not. And uh, we need to develop a system of childcare that's actually supported by the state. I mean, there is there is some state support uh, in the preschool years, but very little. And the, the reality is that people working in childcare are extremely badly paid. A lot of them have to sign on during the summer. They're the, striking, aren't they, on the 5th of striking, February? They're striking, and rightly so. The providers... Um, can't pay them anymore because the parents can't afford to pay anymore. So we need a system like they have in, particularly in Northern Europe but in most other European countries where the state effectively is involved in, in supporting the childcare system. It's very much dependent on the private sector <coughs> that we have community childcare in Ireland uh, and that goes back uh, to, to way back to um, I would say actually to, to Willie's government but I think we're trying not to throw political big brickbats here. <laughs> we'll give him a chance to respond. Where, where the private sector was incentivised um, way back then, you know, to, to become the d deliverers of childcare. It is expensive. How, how would you it pay for it on the state's yeah. behalf? No, we've actually costed it and in fact we launched a, a policy on it uh, just in the last few days, but I was involved previously about two years ago in drafting policy on childcare as well and we did cost it and we know it costs a, a considerable amount of money, but we've always put it into our alternative budgets. Has your government done enough on this? It's a huge well, issue for people. We've, we've provided a second year of preschool and I think that's hugely important, but the issue around childcare and the cost of it is something I'm very much aware of. We had the insurance debacle quite recently. That shouldn't have happened. I think we'll have <coughs> to look uh, at a fundamental model as to how we can ensure that childcare is affordable for parents, for working Doesn't parents. it mean higher taxes for us, though? It means that, that we as a society have to make a decision as to where we want to spend money, where we want to prioritise money. Uh, it has to, it's, it will be paid for by the taxpayer, but it's something, these are the types of discussions, Joe, we need to have. Yeah, I, I recall one day in the door, John Burton talking about the uh, Scandinavian system of childcare, and certain things weren't going to happen until we had the Scandinavian system, and uh, those things happened, and we're a long ways in the Scandinavian system. But I do agree with Jan. I mean, I think there is too much. It is too heavily reliant on the private sector. That's, that's undoubtedly true. Uh, but and we're in favour of you know increasing state provision, expanding the role of the state in childcare. Now that is not going to happen obviously overnight. That's a process. So what do we do in the meantime to help people, you know, who are looking for assistance with their childcare costs at the moment? Well, we'll have a detailed section in the manifesto, which is due to be published tomorrow or Thursday. I'm not sure. Amongst amongst the proposals, this is not this is not. Um, the total totality of proposals, but amongst the proposals will be tax credits for people for 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 parents of one and two year olds who have their kids with registered childminders, expanding the affordable childcare scheme. And as I say, the the ultimate objective is to move on and increase state provision. But do we have to accept, um, as members of the public, that that will cost us more in our pockets? Yes, of, of course it will cost us more in our pockets. There's no doubt about that. The fiscal space, uh, the, the amount of extra expenditure the government will have over the next five years, according to the Department of Finance, is £11 billion. And all our manifesto expenditure will be within that envelope. 
we will be providing, we will be seeing how much we're providing for health, how much we're providing for childcare, how much extra we're providing for justice, etc., all within that 11 billion expenditure. Yeah, because the difficulty, obviously, mm. is that if we are at close to full employment um, and we want couples going out to work, then you know, kids have to be properly mm. cared for. Sorry, well, that's why in our policy, we, we're quite clear um, that we're not offering people tax cuts. We are actually saying we need to invest in public services, whether that be health, education, childcare. Uh, and all of the other public services that we so, have. So the income tax so cuts that, that, that uh, Fine Gael are talking about, yeah. you are not offering. We're not offering. We're saying public services are more important. We're very clear on that. And the other thing that I feel really strongly about in the childcare sector is that we need to bring the wages up to a living wage. I mean, people are working, really dedicated people with really good qualifications in childcare. And they, they, they can't afford to live. And as I said earlier, they have to sign on during the summer, which is yeah. crazy. Okay. There's a double yeah. there's a double whammy sorry, Kate, there's a double whammy here, really, as Jen was saying. We've met the, you know, representatives of the childcare providers, the people who work for them, and as as you say, most of them are earning just above the minimum wage. Now they've taken out various qual- educational qualifications. They've trained in this sector. Many of them, because there's full, almost full employment now, many of them are leaving the sector, which is a great loss to the country. And people should remember that childcare is not something just for individual families. I mean, childcare helps strengthen the economy because it enables women to play a more active role in the economic life of the country. And the other thing is, of course, that it, and it makes and I know what I'm talking about here. It makes parents uncomfortable when they have kids going to crash to say this, but the reality is they spend more of their waking hours, our kids, with the people in the crashes mm-hmm. than they do with their parents a lot of the well, time. It's, it's, it's a facet of modern life, Joe. It's, uh, both parents are now working uh, in most households. And I think, obviously, we'll be rolling out our manifesto very shortly as well. But I, I think the fundamental point here is that um, whoever is providing the childcare, we have a fundamental decision to make as a society where we want to put resources. And certainly childcare, for me, would be a priority in the next hour. OK, we're going to take uh, a break. We are talking uh, this morning to Senator Kieran O'Donnell of Fine Gael, Deputy Jan O'Sullivan of Labour and Deputy Willie O'Dea of Fianna Fáil, all standing in the Limerick City constituency in the first of uh, our debates on the Limerick Today show of General Election 2020. OK, we're in the first of our uh, General Election 2020 debates and with me in the studio, Deputy Willie O'Dea of Fianna Fáil, Senator Kieran O'Donnell of Fine Gael and Deputy Jan O'Sullivan of Labour, all standing in the Limerick City constituency. Um... I, we have seen some of the most appalling examples that any of us can remember of crime mm. in the last um, couple of weeks. That incident in Cork and that unbelievable incident in the Drogheda, Dublin area. Something from the Middle Ages, to put it mildly. What's going on here? Has the government lost control on crime, Kieran O'Donnell? No, I don't believe so, Joe. Um, uh, effectively, we these things unfortunately happen over time. They shouldn't happen. I suppose I can only speak that what we need really, we have 1,800 extra Gardaí coming on stream since Templemore was opened. Here in Nimerick, I want to see us getting extra Gardaí back on the streets. There are currently 15 plus Gardaí in the new courthouse above a Mulgar Street that should be on frontline duties and the, the, the security services should be provided by a, a private security firm like the courts in Dublin. And I think furthermore, Joe, what we need is we need uh, new Garda stations in areas like Castle Troy and, and Dooradale Raheen in terms of high growth areas. But the GRA, you've heard them say this morning that the emergency response unit isn't properly available and properly equipped and we know how important the ERU has been in a Limerick context. Yes. 
Well, I mean, government will have to take that on board. I didn't hear that interview, Joe, but government will take that on board, and it's something that, in terms of crime, that I'd be very strong on. We need extra resources. Uh, we need to ensure they're put into areas. We also need a Joe on community policing as well, which is equally important on the ground for the people of Limerick. John O'Sullivan, we had uh, Michael Gearan from Coon Vera um, Addiction Treatment Centre with us on the show yesterday, and he said quite clearly that they have people coming into them who are saying to them, that as part of the budget for the Debs now, alongside the dress and the suit, there's a budget for cocaine. There's a direct link to that and the terrible savagery of the violence that we're seeing. Yeah, I, I mean, the cocaine thing is, is really, really frightening. And I think, you know, any parents out there listening, particularly parents of, of teenage children, you know, are really concerned. Um, look, I mean, it, it, we need a crackdown on a whole lot of levels. Um, they often quote Limerick, the example of Limerick, you know, and, and what was done here in terms of um, the crime gangs that people are seeing now in Drogheda and, and the terrible stuff that's going on in Drogheda and in, in Cork as well, the more recent ones. Um, and look, I think one of the things we have to do in Limerick is to make sure that we we do keep on top of it here because you know in a sense there there has been good work done here and I think we all need we all acknowledge that um, but you know the, the emergency response unit the criminal assets bureau I think has a huge role in terms of the, the godfathers of, of the cocaine and, and other drugs if you like who you know are going around in flashy cars with flashy lifestyles and really cab you know has the capacity to, to engage with that but people on the ground you know we're all knocking on doors what people are saying is they want more guard the presence in their neighbourhood, they want to see the guards around the place. There's a lot of petty crime as well, you know, break-ins and so on but the drugs thing certainly, I mean it is also about, you know, supporting communities but definitely it is about getting at the big guys, the guys who are making the money. I mean Willie O'Dee, there is I think a, a creeping complacency potentially here in Limerick there, there's a view, there's a focus on the very serious crime that we're seeing but we know from this show, heroin is a problem, cocaine is a problem you know, gangland crime has not gone away by any means. No, I mean, anybody who's familiar with, you know, walk the streets and talk to people in communities will readily realise that it's it's a very difficult problem and it seems to be, the availability of drugs, particularly hard drugs, seems to have become endemic in this region. Now, there's a few things you can, any government can do immediately. Uh, we brought in very harsh measures to deal with, legislative measures to deal with gangland crime. Our spokesman in justice, Jim O'Callaghan, has identified a couple of more amendments uh, to, to that legislation to tighten it up. It could be tightened up considerably. I welcome the fact that there's 1,800 more guards. Um, we need more. We need We need still more. We need to get mm. back to where we were before the crash. Uh, and, of course, we'll all, I, can, I speak for myself and I think I can speak for Jan and Kieran too when I say we'll all be fighting to get our fair share of those in Limerick. Community policing is absolutely vital. It's the, it's the lack of, 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 of visibility that, you know, if you take this, a lot of this low-level anti-social behaviour that people complain so vociferously about, you know, it's it's the lack of, of, of the lack of response because we don't have enough guards and the lack of lack of visibility. We, there was a, a notion back in you know back in the, before before the crash that we would have an ancillary sort of ancillary police force, a reserve police force, as it were, who would be specially trained. We had loads of volunteers for that, but it seems to have fallen by the wayside. <clears throat> and it would be very useful in the sense of 
people with uniforms patrolling some of those areas it would afford a measure of reassurance to the people the other thing we're going to have to do and we'll have specific proposals for it is the specialist units such as the emergency response unit which as you say played a pivotal role in combating gangland crime here in Limerick that will have to be properly resourced all the indications are that it isn't and I heard that interview this morning and it's a bit scary to be honest now okay. maybe there's a couple maybe there's a couple more things we can do I'm talking for myself now rather than for the party I don't know if this will appear in a manifesto or not but something I've suggested to the party to put in the manifesto is that where kids who are out of control cause damage involving financial loss to other people that there should be some recourse to the parents of those kids who haven't properly controlled them to pay for that. Right. Um, I want to move on to another subject that Inga has for us. I've got quite a few questions. Um, My name is Inga. I live in the Midwest. And my very first question, which would be to everybody that's up for election, what are you going to do about reopening the hospital beds in our region? Limerick, Nina and Dennis. People are on trolleys. People are waiting for surgery. I'm waiting for surgery myself. I have to go to Galway. It's not being done in Limerick. It's not good enough. I live in a city. I'm having to travel out of town. I don't understand why, and I would love someone to explain to me what the plan is. That's Inge. All three of you represent parties mm. who've been in government at some stage uh, since Mary Harney declared the beds crisis and emergency departments a national emergency. Um, it is undoubtedly a very significant issue. Um, so what are you going to do about it? And I think people need to hear things that are credible. Jan? Yeah, well, first of all, um, our own region, um, we don't have enough beds. We don't have enough frontline staff, doctors and nurses. And Dr. Jerry Burke, who's head clinician in in the hospital, has brought forward very useful figures um, which have been published locally, contrasting, for example, the Beaumont Hospital region of Dublin, uh, which if you compare the populations, it's roughly the same in the kind of dependency levels. And they have far more beds far more nurses and doctors than we have. So we need our fair share in the region. And I think right cross party, we need to fight for that. We need a definite date on the 60 bed unit in UHL, uh, a a definite date. And also, as I said at the start, a definite um, commitment to staffing it as well, um, because that's absolutely crucial. There's no point opening the beds if there's nobody to staff them. And secondly, I agree with Inez, or Inga, sorry, in relation to um, opening up whatever beds are there. I think Nina and Ennis and St. John's and and Kieran has indeed highlighted the St. John's situation, have the capacity to to do a lot more than, than what they're doing. And also, I think you know the possibility of step down beds community support so older people can get back home um, these are all elements of what we need to do in health but the, I think that the primary thing we have to fight for in our region is to get our fair share then we will be able to do some of these things Very simply we are short 150 beds in this region under the, the and staffing and staffing and when reconfiguration took place it was, done, it was happening on two bases a new ED we've delivered that uh, over a year ago uh, and also 150 beds. They didn't happen at the time. We've been doing catch-up ever since. Uh, 60 of those beds will be uh, fully completed uh, by September, and I've got an assurance this morning that it is funded for staffing. That's something I feel very strongly on. There are 96 uh, bed block as well, Joe, uh, g- going to planning. Uh, I expect they'll be probably built in the next two to three years. That's the 150 beds. Also, what we have to do in the interim is make absolute optimum use of the available beds. When there was 92 people on trolleys 
uh, in UHL, which is the highest in the country. We had 33 beds vacant in, in John's at the same time. We had 10 vacant beds in John's yesterday morning. Now, the numbers in UHL this morning are down at 41. We see Cork at 67. So there is some improvement, but that doesn't in any way, uh, you know, excuse that we still have the large number of trials. We have the second MRI Because you raised open. the issue of the St John's beds. Yes. But was it ever dealt with? I mean, it was dealt with, Joe, that the beds were with 15 of those beds unoccupied for the previous three months. And were they opened? They were. They are now opened. So we're down to 10. And what, the point I'm trying to make, Joe, one of the reasons we're seeing the reduction in the figures on trolleys is because the beds in the other hospitals are being opened. We were completely unaware of that. That's unacceptable for me. So we must make use of the available resources that, that are here at the moment as well. And, Joe, it's the first time they were seeing <coughs> consistently over the last week where Limerick is not the, yeah. has the largest number of people on trolleys. Well, you know, the numbers go up and down. I was speaking to a gentleman from Dublin yesterday and he was asking me how how much canvassing had I done. And I said, well, however much I've done, I would have done twice as much if I wasn't stopped at every third or fourth door with people complaining <coughs> about the regional hospital. And everybody has a story and, you know, you have to patiently listen to the stories and, you know, you hear tales of horror about people three days and four days on trolleys children suffering from cancer treat, period, treatment being put off because of the because of the emergency situation. I mean, it is an absolute nightmare. It is a catastrophe. There is no doubt about that. And as John has said, Jerry Burke and others have identified the fact that we've got 160 beds short. If you take the ratio of beds to population, we're 160, we've fallen 160 beds behind in the Midwest. We have to, we, we, we have to make up that deficit as quickly as possible. I was, I met the management of the regional hospital there in the height of the trolley crisis trying to find a solution to it recently. And I asked the question as to when the unit would be coming, when the unit, the 60 bed unit would be in operation. And they seemed to think it wouldn't be until sometime next year. Well, that's, okay, that's I'm saying not, the opposite. No, no, I'm, well, well I'm, no, I'm, glad, I'm glad of that assurance because well, yeah. I'm, only, I'm only quoting what I was well, told. I, well, I've gone away and I've, I've checked because I believe this issue is above politics. This is an issue for the people. And the I checked with the state in UHL. The hospital will be ready and fitted out by September. The funding is in place. They're starting recruiting staff from, from, from the, next month the, on. And the difficulty is, yeah. and this probably applies to all yeah. of you, the difficulty is I think a lot of people in Limerick genuinely believe now that if the same problem had existed at the same level for as long in Dublin, there is no way, no way that Dublin people would have been left in the state that Limerick people have been left in. That's, that's a view. That's in, in fairness, Joe. That's fair comment, right? Mm-hmm. But but what for me, it's about finding solutions. We're doing catch up, Joe. Right? Ennis, Nina, and John's EDs should not have been closed until the new ED. Okay, was I wanted to chat in because we have to wrap this up. Yeah, but and, and I mean, I think bills. people need something in writing, Kieran, because we've been given earlier times before about the opening. I, as far as I heard last night, the Minister for Health said November. Mm. Um, now you're saying September. I'm saying so I'm ready saying, in September. Fully fitted out. The CEO and ready. told me next next year. So the CEO no, no. told you next year. Yes, it'll be fully fitted out. No, that's and, fitted out. But is it going to be used? And ready for occupation. And they're starting to recruit staff. Joe from next month on and for me as a politician here but, in, but, in but, Limerick but, but, I want to see it okay. opened but, but look we all want, want it, it but, we, we, yeah. but is it going to be opened in the last quarter yes. of this yes. of this year yes Joe yes well, it will then can we have it in writing because we we've had so writing, many yeah. promises about when it'll open and they haven't been yeah, but, but, can, but, can, but, I, can yeah, I make yeah. can I make another point a separate Briefly point now. Well, yeah the other thing we must look at, of course, is home care facilities. We're proposing to increase home care by about 5 million hours. 
uh, and extra community okay. facilities to facilitate All right, guys. release. All right, okay. Well, listen, thank you very much. I think we got through more maybe than you guys might have expected this morning as well. We've touched on a number of issues. We'll touch on them with other uh, candidates in the run-up to uh, the election, which, of course, is Saturday, the 8th of February. Don't forget, you need to get on the uh, register by tomorrow if you want to vote. If you're not on uh, the register, uh, and even the draft register won't be enough, you, you need to go and, and yeah, get and yourself there are, on. There, is, there uh, are Gardaí down in City Hall until 2 o'clock today, today if yeah, people to, want to go down To facilitate register. that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you to Deputy Jan O'Sullivan, Deputy Willie O'Dea, and Senator Kieran O'Donnell, all standing in the Limerick City constituency. Call Limerick today now on 461995.